Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Locked, Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined, as always, by Trevor, and we've got a pretty action-packed show here. Uh, a lot of news has broke over, well, not a ton, but some news has broke over the last week or so, and plus we had quite possibly the biggest beats here of all time. I'm going to just go ahead and throw, I'm going to call it the biggest beat here of all time. It's a pretty big one. Because it was the Lone Star Classic with $30,000 added cash and USDGC and Women's National Championship spots up for grabs. Um, Plus, everybody was already in Texas, so it just kind of was very yeah, convenient. It, which, to be honest with you, the field was not as stacked as you would have expected. No. Um, which was kind of surprising. I guess that's, that is, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the biggest question that I was that came up when I first saw this event is why the heck is this not an A tier? Yeah, I, I wonder, well, I think it probably has something to do with the, the A-tier restrictions this year, right? Like, they were tough. Yeah. That's why we couldn't I mean, I get under, our I A-tier. know the answer. It's like, it's a newer <laughs> event. Well, and also, my second this. question then is, well, yeah, like, I guess the newer event, and then we don't really know when the added cash was announced. You know, it's it could have been, like, a later thing, so. I mean, the title sponsor put up. I believe it was twenty five thousand of the yeah, thirty so five thousand of it was going. It must to have coverage. just been that it's too new. Then that's probably the only answer to that. So that's exactly what I was assuming. Um, if that is the case, do you like that an event like this with this much at, like I've said before? I like the tier system and the way it's ran, but when looking at it, I'm not sure that I do yeah. because. I feel like the only reason this wasn't better attended is because of the tier being a B tier and uh, also the fact like it's not a silver series or anything like that. Yeah. It's just weird to me that we can have an event with this much added cash and there were some decent names. Double G was there. Conrad was there, yeah. but like they were the highest rated players in the field. Well, there hasn't missing been... that upper echelon pros. I don't know if the tiers have anything to do with it. I do think there isn't a lot of chances for a stop right now for a break week. Um, and I think this might have just been the unlucky event where like guys were like, we need a break or or whatever it might be before you know the vintage open, which a lot of the good players are playing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much the tier really plays into because other than the added cash minimums, it doesn't. Although it does change your points, though, right? Changes your points. Yeah. Which, uh, the added cash minimums change, let's and be then honest. some of the regulations on how the event is ran, like when courses yeah. have to be set up. I will. I don't know that it has. I mean, it might deter some players like worried about the professionalism, how smoothly the event's going to be run, uh, with the tier being I don't lower. Know, though. But I, I feel like it, I feel like it was just a case of. I mean, maybe a lot of the, some of the golfers are sick of Texas golf. Maybe I, I don't know. I just found it very interesting when I was looking at it and I was looking through the results and stuff. But why? Why um, did they do the restrictions? Remind me on A tiers for this year. They just said that there wasn't really restrictions. They just said they had an overabundance of applications, right? And so they had to be very selective of which ones. Because they were only weren't the, wasn't there a limit per state? They kind of limit it, yeah. Yeah. They, they want to make sure that there's enough distance between weekends right. between so the, stuff like so that. So the PDGA like prior, prioritizes A tiers, like, but I don't think the PDGA realizes that there's enough demand to support more A tiers than they probably. Yeah. Well, also, Virginia. We don't From even what have I have one. seen, Virginia doesn't even have an A tier this year. Yeah, we were when we were only going to have what one. And the most we've ever had in the past is two: fall colors and two days in May. Yeah. I, well, I say the past in my playing career. Right. There could have been more before then, but two days in May, from to my knowledge, isn't even happening this year. That's, yeah, at so all, that doesn't make weird. any sense. And fall colors, 
again, is probably happening, but for some reason it's not an A tier this year. And so we just drove and played the closest one, which is in Raleigh. And it was a good event, um, but I just don't get... It just seems weird to me. Like, restrictions where, like, this event with 30,000 added, not an A tier to B tier. And then, like, how much weight is actually putting on that? Yeah, I... I do know, like, had the Dogwood Classic that we played been a B tier, I wouldn't have went. Yeah. Which is kind of... And I don't know why I wouldn't have went. Yeah, I mean, I can't... I mean, I can't really say Like, would same. you have gone if you if it was a B tier? Yeah. Oh. How I don't know it? what it is. Like, some, like I think it's just an expectation thing of you hear A tier and I, you know yeah. you're going to get a great I kind of forgot it was an A tier until we went. I thought it was a B tier. So, yeah. I definitely didn't play into my decision making. I don't know, because like, I wasn't driving two and a half hours for a B tier. I think it was a lot different because I had a place to stay with my in-laws. That's also true. So, like, if I was getting a hotel and paying for a hotel, that would have been I think, uh, yeah, I just think when you hear A tier, you know it's going to live up to, like, certain standards. And so, for me... I'm yeah. a lot more likely to go. So I don't know. I agree with you though that I think the sports at a spot where uh, there could have been a lot more A tiers and they could have all been sustained. Yeah. Because I, like I also wonder, these events though, are filling in less than an hour a lot of times. Like at what point within the sport do we just get to where all disc golf tournaments need to be run to A tier standards? Forget the added cash because I get I get the cash thing. Probably that's probably the reason the tiering system still exists for the most part. Is it's kind of tipping off the pros. Here's how much money is here for your chance to tour. But B tiers even last year had crazy added cash. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like as far as like there being different standards of how a tournament needs to be run, I feel like there eventually is going to be a point where like everything should be run to a standard. Well, my thing is, it's a representation if you're a B-tier of the sport with thirty thousand added cash. You're running that tournament as an A tier. Right, I guarantee you. I we just don't want like certain tournaments up. to fall behind in standards, and then somebody plays a C tier for the first time, like first tournament, and then they're like, "Well, this is a joke." Well, that's where I almost feel, as the sport grows and the way it's progressing, with how much demand there are for tournaments, right, yeah. and how many great TDs there are out there, I almost feel like the PDGA could cut C tiers or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And say we're going to run B tiers and above, because C tiers. There's no added cash requirement, all of this. Players can get a rating is right. the, the only that's benefit the only to the sanctioning offering, yeah. thing. Um, and I'm sure that that's a big part of PDGA funding is how many C tiers there mm-hmm. are. But there's no requirement distance-wise between events. You can run on the same weekend as like one. You don't have to get like approval. You might have to get approval now. for. I think that might be a newer thing, but there's no restrictions. It's kind of a free-for-all mm-hmm. when you sanction it. I could see that being something like that or... C tiers become the new B tiers, and like there is a minimum added cash to be a sanctioned pro tournament type thing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because I do agree that there should be some higher standards. Because you can go to some C tiers, and every other card is smoking, and they're all in. Like, yeah, nobody's really caring. It's just yeah, it's just it's like a, it's like you're going to a weekly where it's just you're having fun right. playing disc golf, but you're getting a rating. Yeah, it's it's a weird balance because at the same time you don't want the C tier events to go away because those are really fun to go play not care as much but you almost don't want them to be like on the same level of like this is a pdga sanctioned tournament you almost want like if a tournament is pdga sanctioned for that to like carry some weight that's what i was saying that's like, more what i was saying yeah it's almost like the c tier type events should just kind of you know be more of a fun thing but i know that ratings ratings just are the lifeblood of disc golf they they are what make people show up uh, to be honest with you if I was the PDGA, maybe they. What if they just took ratings away for A tier and above? 
No, I would screw taking ratings <laughs> away. I would make it where not even a sanctioning fee, but for X amount, like the event isn't sanctioned, but it allows players to calculate and include their rating. Almost like weekly leagues, but can be one off event. Right. To replace C tiers, to where it's not a PDJ sanctioned event, so there's not that. You go to a PDJ sanctioned yeah, but event and not, it sucks. Then what does sanctioned even mean then? Endorsed, I guess. Endorsed and rules, yeah. Well, because, if there's no rules, then how can you do the ratings, though? No, the PDJ rules would be in effect. I, what I'm saying sanctioned is like if you go on the PDJ and you're going through the event list and stuff like that. Like, Right. That's one of the biggest benefits as a TD to sanctioning a tournament beyond anything is that it's on the PDJ's website and it's listed yeah. there. So if you don't have any other way to market it, people are going on there and searching for events in their area and it's on that list. So that indirectly is tying the PDGA to that event. The PDGA isn't going to get a bad rep. The TD will get a bad rep for running a horrible event. Yeah. I've been, to, I mean, there's, I won't say any names, but there are certain TDs that I went to events of before that when I see an event in that area, I make sure it's not that TD because I will right. not show back up because right. they've, they, they just let tournaments ran by them just were awful. Yeah, same. And so there's certain TDs that I will pay attention to. I've never looked at the PDGA in a bad light. But that's me because I understand the inner workings. That right. might be if it's someone's first tournament out, they, they might be like, well, this is awful. Like, yeah. This is what disc golf's all about. And yeah. they hold the whole sport to the standard they saw there. Um, none of that was in the notes. So MPO results for the Lone Star Classic. We had Matteo pop off a little bit, yeah. win by five strokes over a three-way tie for second between GT Hancock, Ma- Mason Ford, and Connor O'Reilly. Um, they all tied for second. I believe the next player down was Double G in fifth, and James Conrad was kind of hanging around in there too. But mm-hmm. um, Matteo with another impressive performance. Yeah, uh, he just came off of a second place at Texas States. Yeah, uh, went straight into this, uh, took it down, and I believe all of the players I just listed did end up qualifying for USCGC. They gave away five spots. I believe they took up four of them. Uh, Double G and Conrad were already qualified. Okay. So then the seventh place person got one as well. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a big time thing. One thing, though, is a lot of players didn't know this was a USDGC qualifier. Really? Because, well, I say a lot. A lot of players that I know of and talk to, because um, Nick Carl was the first one to tell me it was. Yeah. I didn't see it promoted, this tournament promoted. Nick Carl told me the Lone Star Classic is a USDGC qualifier. So, yeah, that's random. Brody didn't play in it. And then Paul was like, why didn't you play in it, Brody? Like, that would have probably been a, a one of the easiest ways to qualify for USDGC because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a B tier. Not a lot of players are going right now. Yeah. Brody had no clue. Uh, and it also... I wonder if they were keeping it on the down low. Like, but why? Worry about their tournament getting filled. Like, they wanted to keep it to, like, local guys more. Like, give them a shot. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was, like, a Texas thing where they were like, hey, we want to get a bunch of Texas guys into the USDGC. Let's, let's keep it... I mean, I feel like they were promoting it. It's just... But they were. Well, it wasn't reaching. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the USDGC thing, that would have brought people from everywhere. If they yeah, see, and they were oh, already in a, Texas. There's a B tier that I can get into the USDGC. Like and that's another thing too is, how did they get USDGC qualifying spots? That's that's real mind blower. Being a B tier, I guess the I guess well, whose decision is that? Innova. Innova decides who gets yeah. I think maybe. Innova was a sponsor, a partial sponsor. I want, when, was that, when was that decision made? Because maybe Innova was like, this is our chance to get some maybe we're of our trying guys to get a, in. Maybe, oh, Innova might have been trying to get it as an A tier. <laughs> hmm. 
they might have been like, yeah, we'll invest in this tournament. You, you know, let them know you have USCC qualifying spots. All this added cash will be an eight. There's a there's a w- interesting question. What if like, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but what if like Innova, like, made an, an event a qualifier, kept it on the download, but made sure their borderline guys got into it and like could qualify so they could play at the USGDC. <laughs> scandal there's a conspiracy theory for you <laughs> i mean um, that's not the case because they're they're big guns like well i guess no conrad's not even in it anymore and, and he's Mace, also qualified mason ford's in it though and he did qualify for uscdc scandal <laughs> so uh on the fbo side we had lisa lisa fakus i almost called her lisa fajita so many catchy. people it's well so, so many catchy. people like i've heard like zach melton that's yeah. like his nickname for, her, and then I've heard Hannah Macbeth call her that before. I don't know if that's like an actual well, nickname. Or hopefully, if like they're friends of her and they call her that, and it's not like they are friends of her and they do call her that. Okay, so that's good. But like whenever I read her nickname. name, that's just like that's how I heard her name like the first time. So it's so hard for me to read Lisa Fakus. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Lisa Fakus took it down by one. She actually birdied hole eighteen to win it. Uh. She had a little bit of Sick. a rough final round. Sarah Hokum came in second. Then we had Stephanie Vincent and Own Own Scoggins tying for third there um one thing that was very interesting about this event so there was as i mentioned thirty thousand dollars out of cash yeah the the title sponsor put in twenty five thousand of it five thousand actually wasn't added to cash that went to media coverage of the event so i guess paying gk pro and whoever else carried uh yeah. covered it and then twenty thousand was added cash for the whole event mm-hmm. and then tito's vodka i believe yeah uh put in ten thousand dollars additional to get it to 30 but they put in their ten thousand specifically to fpo interesting um so that's why this next part i'm about to talk about of the payout numbers um if you looked at them on just strictly looked at the pdga it looks confusing because the fpo added cash to their field compared to the mpo is like equal even though there was 24 fpo and 90 some mpo 92 when i first looked at it i was like what the heck's going on here and then i realized tito's sponsor pretty cool thing because another question i saw got brought up is originally it looked the tour standard basically saying the amount of added cash that comes in has to be broken by the amount of players in the open field mm-hmm. evenly distributed amongst that what that is in reference to is the minimum added cash yeah so yeah. for a b tier i believe it's 750 they might have just bumped it to a thousand let's just say it's around a thousand that first thousand dollars has to be broken evenly anything above that is it can be distributed however so tito's came in and said we want to support fpo and women's disc golf here's ten thousand dollars crazy now what confused me is why was there only 24 women here with ten thousand dollars now that doesn't make any sense we don't know the timeline that's the that's what i was thinking i was thinking i wonder if that second 10 grand came in late like if it was already full registration was closed it was full but yeah, because like you would think with that much money on the that line, that much money, everyone's already in Texas. Yeah, they would all be flocking. I mean, it, it was it ended up being like a five hundred some percent per player value. Right. So if I was an FPO player and I'm sitting there and I hear like this company is a supporting women's disc golf that much, b putting ten thousand dollars only into the FPO purse at a B tier, you bet your bottom it's dollar no I'm showing up. It's a no brainer. Paige Pierce did show up, sixth place again. She technically showed up, but her game did her not. her game. <laughs> Her game never made it to Texas. No. Let's just put it there, that way. She needs to turn she left around her, really quickly. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Um, She's not playing good golf right now. I genuinely, I again, I have no idea what's going on. Uh, but my gut feeling is 
it's her lifetime goal to get to a thousand rated. I think the pressure got to her. She got the nine ninety six. I think she knew the Texas swing. If she played good, she'd break a thousand. Yeah. And I think that pressure got to her. I think you're exactly right. And that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also one thing that's, I mean, people are still freaking out over him. I just thought it was kind of poorly timed. Was her nine ninety six stamp discs. I know. It's pretty obvious Discraft was in the same this is this is also something that confirmed my thought process. Discraft is just now releasing them mm-hmm. when the ratings update happens next week. Right. Uh so or I think they released them yesterday. My thought process is they released them a week before the ratings come out. When she got the nine ninety six rated a month ago, it's pretty obvious they were in the same thought process of like, well, why would we release nine ninety six? You're you might be a thousand after this next month. All right. I think everyone was in the same thought process of go out, play your golf like you've been playing. You're going to get to a thousand rated. We'll do a thousand rated disc for you. Yeah. And then it didn't happen. And they're like, well, we still need to like do something with her accomplishment. Right. And we need to get it done before her rating drops to 990 or whatever it's about to go to. Yeah. And so then they came out with this. They still sold out in like 10 minutes. Well, and sure, people, they're sure. still going to be a collector's item because it, it was still a great accomplishment. I mean, it, it just was all kind of I, weird timing yeah, of like. I, I really hope like the dust settles and like she gets back on track she will get to a thousand rated eventually you would, she is you would still think. the greatest female disc golfer of all time it's gonna be a, this is a the hard yips stretch can be tough to shake this I is guess. a hard stretch to bounce back from yeah if she's got the yips right now in her game and just lacking confidence it's I'm very tough i'm just gonna tough go to ahead shake. and tell you she's not at the vintage open but yeah, uh not, yeah i was not picking her in my top no three. yeah i wouldn't have either i don't know when i'll pick no. her again mm-hmm. i'm gonna need <laughs> i'm gonna need a few events of her getting in the top three for me to pick her again yeah, it's it's surprising me a lot. Yeah, I mean, Jonesboro last year she dominated. That's gonna be a true tell. Yeah, if she plays bad at Jonesboro, like that's. <laughs> yeah, if she plays bad at Jonesboro, we might. Yeah. It, it might be a very interesting FPO season because yeah, I don't know. What's gonna Katrina happen. Allen is going to be in the mix. She always is. Yeah. But all that's happening right now is a lot of these women are looking for years, and you've heard some of them talk about it looked at Paige Pierce as, and this is, it happened in the MPO field too, where they were looking at Paul. They looked at Paige Pierce or even Paul and Ricky as the players to beat. Yeah. Once you beat them, beat her once or twice, you get confidence of like, right. I've done it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the even with her not playing at her best, that's still giving these women confidence of like, Oh, like, yeah, I've done it. I mean, cat multiple times. Cat and Haley are kind of sneaking up there in the ratings too, to where I think Haley, what's Haley's rating at? Wouldn't she get getting up there? I don't know. Can you look that up, Connor? Look up Haley's rating. I think I may be mistaken. But I believe her rating was up there. I know Cat's at like 966 now to where Haley might be a little bit lower. But there's a lot of players creeping up around the 950s where if, if Paige drops to like 980, 975, like they might meet her there. It's going to start yeah. getting real interesting. What do you got? It's 965. Yeah. Okay. I thought so. Yeah. So like some of these players, if they keep playing they well, they play really well. They the get like a, a couple, like a next ratings update, they get like a 10 point bump and Paige gets a 10 point down. Like, Maybe when we start talking about somebody catching her for the highest rated Yeah, player. which I wonder when the last time Paige wasn't the highest rated female in the world. A long time ago. I mean... She's been in a class of her own for, I feel like, years. I mean, maybe yeah. it's not been that long. Maybe Kat was right up there with her. But, I mean... There may have been a time where Kat and her were really close, and she might have had her. But, but feeling-wise, like, ago. it feels like it's been a long time. Yeah. Just, again, that's not based on stats. But where this all was coming from is I wanted to look at the purse, both on the MPO and FPO side, because... I, th- I don't understand. This is something that we've seen and we've talked about and we've talked about and we talked about and we're going to keep talking about because 
I, 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 this is one of my least favorite parts of professional disc golf. MPO total purse, $22,175. The winner took home $2,500. So bad. If I plug the numbers in to what we use at tournaments to calculate payout, the winner would have taken home $5,280, more than twice as much. Yeah. And last cash would have taken home 145 instead of 290 which which like, they still got more than their in your last fee. cash yeah you should just be making your money back like that, no one in last cash is expecting to walk away in the positive all right like, like you came wow. in you came in at literally 37 place you gotta pay the winners more like why like <laughs> and it's not i even, just don't get it it's not even like like i said we're going from 290 last last cash to 145 it's not, that it's not like we're going where last cash is now instead of being 37th place it's we're only paying the top 20 it's the same amount of people we're paid. paying the same amount of people right. they're making more than their entry fee but now we're rewarding the winner. Like yeah. now, Matt Eo, instead of walking home with 2500 bucks, is walking home with over $5,000. Yeah, it's a big difference. Like <laughs> Very what the, big We, difference. last year, at the Battle for Bedford, had only 6000 added cash to the whole pro field. The whole pro field, not just MPO. Paul walked away with $2,000 of the winner. All right, yeah. That's $500 less than, some, than, than a tournament with 30000 yeah. It's a lot easier to do than you would think. I, it's, it's just, once again, the PDGA has this, like... But I it's not even the PDJ because they they don't actually have any rules on how payout's supposed to be broken down. They have a when you plug yeah. it into the tournament. Well, then thing, I tell you what it really is. Then it's TDs trying to be best friends with everybody. No, I think it's probably. TDs not caring beyond because if you the plug the numbers breakdown. in, so it's it like default breaks down right. to this. Okay, so, that's, so the PDJ has a default and analy- like whatever I breakdown. I think everybody just does that, and it's just kind of like universally accepted. But like. But why? I know if you do it our way and go top heavy, the it's real... It's not even really our way. This is TexasArmyTrails.com or something like that. Yeah. It's just a, it's a literally... If you search disc golf payout calculator, it's like the first one that comes if up. If you do it the more top heavy way, the real competitors, the guys that are really have a winning attitude are going to be happy about it because they're going to be like, awesome. I'm going to go out and win this tournament. I've done this for every tournament Only I've the ran. the journey guys who are just like kind of comfortable being sitting around the middle of the pack are going to be upset about they're it. They're not and, even going to be. I promise you. Because they're not losing that much money. Then, like, they're not good for the sport. If like they're just kind of chilling. I have done this because we have tested this at different events. We've even tested it some on the Blue Ridge Tour. Zero complaints. Yeah. Zero. Because when you're in 25th place, you are upset at yourself for how you played, most likely, or you're stoked to have cashed. Either way, you're not looking at your envelope going, "Why did I get 300 bucks when I paid 117 to enter?" Yeah. Versus, you know, this should have been 500 dollars. Yeah, like the person in twenty fifth place cares a lot less about that two hundred dollars, and the person in first place cares about that two grand, and that's what it comes down to. Is why are we handing? And it's the same on the FPO. FPO total purse was thirteen thousand five hundred thirty three dollars. Lisa took home three thousand five hundred nineteen, and she could have taken home four thousand six hundred twenty. So FPO wasn't as drastic improvement, uh, but last cash would have still taken home four hundred and sixty dollars when they paid one hundred and seventeen to enter. Yeah, I mean, I it's got to change. I just don't understand why we're prioritizing players who are losing events right. over winners. Right, yeah. You got to favor the winners more. It just... Especially when in this It just makes scenario, everything more competitive. When Especially, like, when the drop-off from, like, first to second is so much, like, it makes it so much even more competitive knowing that, like, not only is that... Instead of that putt being maybe worth $1,000, that putt may be worth, like, $3,000. Yeah. Like, it it just, like, adds that much more drama to it, knowing that, like, winning means so much more than coming in, like, second or third. But it also, like, it's it's not like... I think in the past, people have misunderstood when we talked about this and either thought we were cutting the amount of people paid, which we have recommended before, on the Pro Tour. Because I do think on the Pro Tour, if you're you're trying to be a touring professional, 
you're not happy about coming in 55th place and getting $200 because yeah. you're trying to live. Yeah. Good luck. Um, but on like a B tier or something like this, we're not talking about cutting that. No. 37th place is still getting more money than they put in. Right. Right. So, but by doing it, you can make a shift to winning a tournament more valuable that takes away basically nothing from the whole field. You take mm-hmm. a little bit away from the majority of the field and shift it towards the top to where even like second place and third place are making a little bit more money. Yeah. So now if you show up to a tournament and you perform well, they're actually, there's more money in disc golf than people realize. It's just, it's getting used wrong. Right. It's, it's yeah. going to the wrong people. <laughs> yes. Very good. Statement. And that's not even just in tournaments. That's yeah, in everything. a whole lot of the sport. <laughs> There is a lot more money in this sport, and I I don't really know how to say it other than that. There is a lot more money in this sport than people realize, Mm -hmm. and it's not even like it's lining people's pockets, per se. Some of it is. Some of it is. (laughs) I mean, mm. Um, there was like 10 things that came to my mind. I was like, can't say that, can't say that, can't say that. that. Um, Some of it is, sure, and not like it's being illegally done. Some of it is. <laughs> no, <laughs> none of it that I know of is being illegally done. But some of it is going to player people's pockets. I think some of it's just being misused. But some of it, yeah, it's just for like being the wrong things, dumbly used. Yeah, like it just makes no sense as to like right. this scenario. Play why? Why wouldn't we want to reward Matteo for winning a, a big event, a B tier? Yeah, it's a lot more. I think too, like disc golf events if you notice flex a lot on the purse amount and not amount a lot on the what the winner's gonna win yeah because right? it's embarrassing i know they're never like notice they're always like still one hundred and twenty thousand. First place took home five grand yeah you're like, never gonna see them talk about winners gonna win 10 grand until until the pro tour did that with the finale and that's why they were able to do that because they gave and the, guess what happened we got some outside eyebrows raised because yeah. players were taking home some actual right. money the money money talks man when players are able to earn big paychecks like the event having a big purse doesn't get people talking you know when single athletes make a ton of money from something like paul with his contract for example that's what people on the outside are talking about like oh because they don't think oh i can get playing disc golf and i can playing events with big purses no they want to think oh i can play disc golf and if i win i'm gonna win this much money yeah like that's what they're thinking well that's the thing too is if you look at like articles and stuff like that prior players contracts aren't public other than paul's is one of the first ones ever some of small details have been but if you ever look at outside articles about disc golf they list like career earnings yeah and that looks hilarious it's like the number one player in the world paul paul mcbeth his, Didn't he just hit 500K? Well, what I was going to say is when <laughs> like, he was at his prime, and no doubt he's the number one player in the world, 2015 like season, 70K? it was like $75,000, yeah. <laughs> and he like didn't lose. Like It was right. the best you could possibly play. Right. And sure, I think Ricky might have earned more than that in one season. I could be wrong there. Players have earned close to that amount in one Nobody's season. Nobody's ever done six figures, though. No, but that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. is like, to do six figures, you'd have to win. You'd have to like play everything. <laughs> I don't think you could do it. It'd be you'd really have to. Hard. I mean, nowadays you might be able to, if but you you'd want, have to win literally everything. Yeah, and you'd have to play almost every weekend. Yeah, and that just looks embarrassing to the outside. They're yeah. looking at it and they're like, because people aren't pulling up. Just Paul's contract seeing it minus tags. Yeah, <laughs> like, like it's yeah. Have fun, yeah, and plus you add in road it's expenses. True. Imagine no one's excited about. Imagine that. if all the big events like these players could be making you know eight to ten thousand. Because like, here's my thing too is. Could be huge. The argument of why you shouldn't do it that way is keeping players on tour, right? I would love to look into, and we might have to do this for a podcast episode. I would love to look into the percentage of players that are finishing outside the top 
25 how many of them are actually on how tour? many of them are actually <laughs> yeah. fully surviving on tour i don't think a lot of because even the ones that like even some of the disc golfers that are on tour like they are technically on tour and they technically like their only income is disc golf they've got money from somewhere well a lot like, of them a lot of them though are also on tour but they're vending doing clinics right right everybody's got I'm some saying, kind of side hustle i would like to see the players who like are like the Paul's, Yuli's. They're literally surviving from the money they make from endorsements and disc golf Exactly, from their play. There can't be more than 20. If they get to, if they get, once you're outside the top 25 average finishing, the majority of these players, you you see a lot of cycling players where this, the past three or four tournaments might have similar names because they're in Texas, but the second tour goes East Coast, those players aren't there anymore because they're going back to their nine to fives or they're going back to whatever because they're not touring. Yeah, you might not see your, you know, so why like are your Joel why, Freeman's and your Matios and everything on every event? Yeah. Like, so like players who have day jobs and are showing up to these tour events, they're stoked if they finish high yeah, enough to get some not, extra money. Not thinking but that's head, what it is. Like, it's oh, extra I money. Need cash so I can pay rent this month. Like it's not where yeah. they're there, and they shouldn't be if they are. Yeah. If that's my biggest thing is like if you're finishing in 35th week in and week out throughout the whole year, and you think that you can live on tour, you're in the wrong sport. Like yeah. there's not that much money in disc golf. There's no. money in disc golf. There's yeah. not that much. Yeah. If you're year in and year out, you're finishing like thirty to fiftieth. Like, I honestly think you'll make more money if you stayed at home and didn't have the tour expenses and just played C and B tiers around you. Yeah, you'd honestly. probably end up profiting. You'd have more money in your pocket yeah, most likely. Probably. I just I don't know. I that thing. Whenever we get to the payout question, there's, I, a, there's just a lot of guys who really, really badly want to tour playing disc golf. It's like it's, it's, sound, a, it's a pipe dream. It sounds dream. so cool it's to a be a professional athlete. We've all been there. We've all wanted to do it. Yeah. You know, some of us have even dipped our toes in the water. It's also and let me tell you, that water burns. It's yeah. not that. It's not you're not going for a casual swim. It's it, tough. It's alluring because the sport is young too, to where like and people rise up the ranks so fast and seemingly out of nowhere, but like. The barrier to entry Go, is getting harder and harder. Yeah, but it's, it's still pretty easy. Uh, but it's getting hard really. It's, it's getting, getting hard quickly. Fast. Yeah, it's like it's three, five years ago, it was a heck of a lot easier yeah, than now. There's a reason, like, yeah, you don't, you're not seeing it as much now. And like, like, let me paint a picture for you. Somebody, and you're gonna like hate me for using Anthony Brella's name, but he's a good example. I I do not have anything against. Okay, AB. This guy is just obsessed with AB. That's what he's, he's a good example. It. Like AB has been playing disc golf since he was like probably really young really bright young you know talent stayed in disc golf the whole time he has won nothing and he is now entering his athletic prime in his young 20s still hasn't won anything and that guy is a freak athlete really good disc golfer it's always done for years so if that can happen then like that should tell you that like disc golf is hard to get it to succeed at right now it is really hard because to be like you mentioned to really be it's not that you know, it might be easy to get into the top hundred players in the world, easy compared to other sports. But there's no money until you're in the top twenty, yeah. and that top twenty is really hard to get into, yeah. like unexplainably hard. Because that guy in twentieth might be Paul Yulebari, and yeah. he's been doing this for a long time, and he's really good at it. So it's like, just the percentages, right? Like, yeah. if you look at in tennis, which is yeah, just tennis. if you're top hundred in tennis in the world, you're making you're millions, doing, probably maybe not millions. Uh, you're making you're, you're making well. you're six figure. Well. Yeah, you, you're doing just same fine. on the P, PGA tour, yeah. ball golf. You're in the top hundred player in the world. But then you you're going to the that, tour championship. You got to reference that top hundred, and like once you break the amount of players to get to that top hundred, and you bring it into right. disc golf, right. that's like you're getting into the top like five, right? Maybe yeah. even less. 
Yeah. And so that's where the, the barrier to entry seems so much easier because the amount of players is so much lower. Mm-hmm. To where you can get into where you might be able to, if you're like a young 20s and you're a freak athlete, you might be able to grind it out. Like AB could live on tour. He could grind it out yeah. and survive on tour. Yeah. But that's what it would be. It'd be a grind. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so you might be able to get to that point where you can grind it out and you can live on tour, but you're not going to be driving, uh, you're not going to be having a someone driving your massive RV with a fa- your face on the side. Right. You're not there yeah. yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. like a top five thing. Yeah. And even that, Paul drives his own RV. Very true. It doesn't need to, but he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably a smart investment not to, but yeah. is what it is. In any case. All right. It's time to move into a fan favorite segment. Trevor's Trivia, what do you have for me today? All right, so I actually found a pretty cool like map quiz about disc golf courses, and the quiz was related to how many states in our country have over 100 disc golf courses in them. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Don't roll your eyes. Like you, I'm done. I'm going to suck at this game. You'll have a decent chance at this. I mean, it's so the way we're going to play it is we will – there's 22 of them. So look at that. You could guess one, and your odds are almost 50-50. I'm trying to think of a certain one. And I will let you— Over 100 courses? I will let you guess until you get one wrong. That is how it works. We've done this before. Yeah. You get to guess, you get one wrong, game's over. <laughs> Some of these, like— I understand the rules You time. should be able to go on for a while because, like— I don't know if I can because I've got, like, should. five. You should be able to go on for quite a while. If you think about where very notable courses are in the country, okay. that tends to, tends to sync up. Over 100. So California— California is 288. Yeah. Texas. Texas has 370. Yeah. They're the most. Um, North Carolina's got to. They have 234. So now we're getting the hard part. <laughs> Come on. Florida. Florida has 139. Oh, wow. That's way closer than I expected. That's terrifying. That was one of my first guesses, though, too. But you just guessed the top four, like, most guessed ones. Yeah. So. 100. Hundreds, a lot of courses. There is quite a few states that have well, like more than double that. Still, well, I understand that. I, but I don't want to mess up, so I'm trying to find like certain ones because there's a bunch in the Midwest. I could say, but some might have like five, and some might have 350. Like I want to say Michigan. Yes, Michigan is 264. You see what I did there? Because I didn't guess it. I just let him tell me. (laughs) I'm just trying to help you out. And then. West Virginia is a definite no-go. Correct. There's not, not, not West Virginia. Ryan, Ryan, one of our friends, Ryan, lives in West Virginia, and he lives near a pretty big city, and he has to drive like an hour to get to a good course. Yeah. So I knew that was a no-go. But on the flip side of that corn is Virginia. Yes. 109. Oh. I mean, I'm not even guessing at this point. I'm trying to talk I'm trying to talk through it. All right. I'm all right. You an assist. They have 109, though. They're six. close. Because next, my next thoughts, Tennessee. 132 yeah tennessee had to especially if virginia did that was a good one that's oh one. georgia yeah they have they don't have a ton 105 what am i at eight now yeah 105 yeah. i went by the skin of my teeth on that i one. think that's the closest one there's like one there's one somewhere that had like 99 i forget what it was so, okay, I, so i'm at seven right now I believe. yeah there's 22 <laughs> so, you're at eight right now i think am i at eight yeah i think so so oh boy these are tough. Think of uh, like an iconic disc golf state. Oregon. There you go. 123. That's what I was just thinking of. Okay. Um, there's so many states that... Okay. Come on, Hunter. Think through this. Oklahoma. 
Wow. That is the least guessed one, but it is 122 in Oklahoma. Yes. Now, only 40% of, of people were able to guess that I know that there's one. a lot of disc golf in Oklahoma. Wow. That was a good one. All right. I'm at 10, so you're I'm pretty, pretty proud of myself You're doing pretty now. well. Um, I wouldn't say you're really missing any obvious ones. I mean, you're missing- say in the Midwest. I mean, you're missing one that I would hope you would get, but- <laughs> that terrifies me. See, I would say this is not a guess. Okay. <laughs> I would say South Carolina, but another part of me feels like there's not as much disc golf in South Carolina as you think, because a lot of it's up towards Charlotte, which is North Carolina. Right. So I don't know. I'm not going to guess South Carolina yet. I'm going to save okay. that later. Okay. But if that's the obvious one, it is on my brain. I don't know how that could be obvious. Well, I guess because you're saying because of Rock Hill. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, Kansas. Yes, 180 in Kansas. So I'm at 11. I'm halfway there. You're doing pretty well. I would be mystified if you got these all. I would be too. See, a big part of me wants to go like Ohio slash Kentucky, but I don't know which one to go because the Natty Disc Golf <laughs> covers both, and there's a lot of good courses, but I don't know if they're mainly in Kentucky or mainly in Ohio, so I'm going Ohio. Got it. 209. Let's go. All right, I'm at 12. Wow. At, yeah, 12. Oh, um, man, this is epic. There ain't no way. We got to go. Oh, Illinois is a big one. Is that in there, though? Wisconsin's also a possibility. Oh, those are terrifying. This is tough. This is tough. Go with your gut, man. I don't want to go with my gut. <laughs> Alabama has a lot of golf, but does it have enough? I got to stay in the Midwest, I feel like. I'm thinking I'm missing something. I hear of Arizona, but I always hear the same courses in Arizona. Nevada, you only ever hear the Las Vegas Challenge. What's up near Oregon? There's there's one more state up there. Yeah, I know. What, what, Washington? <laughs> Washington? I don't think that has a lot of disc golf. Could be wrong. Uh, Utah, where Worlds is. That one probably doesn't, though. Um, Just going on a geography quiz at this point. This is so oh, hard. How many states do I even know? You're still, I mean, you've named a lot of states that are both on and off this list. I'll say that. Yeah, I know. All right, I'm just going for it. Did I already say Ohio? I did. Yeah. So I'm shooting my shot with... Your phone's ringing. Shooting my shot with Massachusetts. No. That's because the phone call I was getting was from Massachusetts, and I hit Maple Hill. No. thought. You, You literally went... You before okay, that Alabama you, was the one I was gonna no, guess for the phone call. Wrong. Okay, so I would have been out either way. You had Illinois and Wisconsin. Those are both in there. See, I just couldn't tell. It's you hard also to tell mentioned the you also mentioned Washington. That's in there, just did, barely. Did so you, you were say missing Texas? I did. Okay, you were missing. I, you didn't say Pennsylvania, my home state. Where mm, I didn't even. You know, I forgot that state existed. I'm I sorry. Too, <laughs> I completely forgot. Pennsylvania, I didn't Illinois, even cross my mind. New York is just in there. New York, one sixteen. Wow, because there's like no courses in New York. I thought Wisconsin, Missouri, Missouri. Oh, Indi- gateways near Missouri. Indiana. Um, Indiana, Colorado. Oh, I should have known Colorado. Iowa, Iowa. Colorado is the only one I feel like on that list that I could have gotten. And Pennsylvania, but Pennsylvania. Yeah. Sometimes never even came through my nobody mind. really thinks about Pennsylvania. You I'm know? not going to lie to you. It's Pennsylvania never even trove. crossed. In New York, I would have never guessed. Because I remember when... I would not have guessed New York. You like, honestly did pretty well. Because I guess I'm just thinking... Whenever you think of New York, you think of New York City. And there's like one course and it's way out on Long, Long Island, apparently. Yeah, I would not have guessed New so York. So like New York... The mainland must have some... Yeah, they must have a lot of courses. I don't know. Dang. Yeah, Massachusetts, that was an awful guess. 
What was I thinking? I hate that they probably had like 55 courses. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't the worst guess. I, I feel like it's such a small state. There had to be so many courses yeah, per square mile. That's true. There wasn't really any. Colorado was the most obvious one left. I should have got Colorado. Colorado, yeah. All right. Well, back to Oregon. There's been some unfortunate news that the Beaver State Fling for this year has been canceled uh, due to storm damage to the course and some uncertainty still around COVID. Uh, basically, they have they still have unable, been unable to get the um, permit from the yeah. from what I understand. But uh, this is according to the PDGA. On February 12th, 2021, snow and ice began to fall around the Portland, Oregon metro area. After several days of the same, thousands had lost power and downed trees littered the usually scenic landscape. When parks officials were finally able to get out to Milo MacGyver State Park, which is where Beaver State Fling is, uh, to assess the damage, they were shocked at what they found. Milo looked like a logging project had moved through the park, and it took it took them almost three weeks to even clear the park roads for farther assessment. Yeah, Currently, the Riverbend day use area, which includes the disc golf courses, remains closed as a safety precaution while crews work to clear the storm damage and is not expected to be open until late May at the earliest. To add to the situation, the park is still not issuing special use permits due to the uncertainty of the state of the pandemic at the time of the event. So, basically, the special use permits, it was probably still up in the air, but they were pretty confident that was going to happen as to why it hadn't been canceled yet. Yeah. And then the storm damage is the reason it's getting canceled now, because now they know it's a two-for-one, like, mm-hmm. this event is not going to happen. Yeah, it, it sounds like a mess, and that's a shame because I was really looking forward to that tournament, but you don't want the beaver state fling to be you know them to have to rush something and then the whole course is a mess and not in good shape so it really stinks but you know yeah they had to do what they had to do it not a good situation but just had to be how it was i guess yeah i think it it's obviously you know it sucks for this year with the national tour and sucks for fans not being able to see it and for players wanting to get back there but it, it raises a question to me right obviously Wooded disc golf is amazing, right? And yeah. it's the easiest way to create naturally difficult courses. Right. Um, it, there have been some drawbacks, which is like filming it mm-hmm. is, can be tough because it's hard to keep the disc, the line of the disc right. in. And obviously as the sport grows and spectators. But those up to this point have been the only two like counter arguments to wooded disc golf. But now this had me kind of wondering, like imagine if Worlds was out there this year. Yeah, and you're and imagine if this is instead of months before, where if this was worlds, worlds could still happen. It's they the week before. Out. It's the week before, right? A storm rolls through. Like, is there like <laughs> some type of sustainability issue or risk that needs to be thought of when we're putting major events and major investments and stuff like that yeah. into heavily wooded courses? You know, what was funny is I literally when I was in school, I had we had a press conference like disaster situation project and my situation they they give you a situation like 24 hours before you have to present on it and mine was that i was running the pga championship at tory pines and the course got laid out by a storm and i had to figure out what to do with it so luckily at tory pines there's more than one course so i just moved a course but in this situation it's obviously that's not so simple um well also in a golf situation i don't know what tory pines looks like but to me Worst case scenario, a storm rolls through golf. You're not having to have the, the trees line a fairway to define the fairway. 
Well, yeah. Well, with tree damage, the big problem, like in the ball golf situation, I had was like you got to remember in a PGA tournament they're building entire bleacher stands and yeah. TV towers to where like you can't have wet ground that's destroyed everywhere. But yeah, no, like I mean, you'd hate to say it's like to think about it, but like there are some courses that are like iconic and wooded where like if the right storm hit, it could like kind of ruin part of the course like well this is one of them yeah it's like that might there's be no one of the telling better what this examples. course is ever gonna look like again yeah like what if there's like trees that are really big parts of certain holes and they're gone forever like, well that happened to obviously a much lower scale but of course about an hour from here it was um it's in uh what is the name of this course Greenfield? no where is it it was near smith mountain lake rocky mount oh virginia no one really liked the course uh, but it was a decent course. A brawl was there every year. Why? Like it's it's just this is the name of the course is completely irrelevant. Are you talking about Big Ridge? No. Okay. You probably no never idea. played it. I have no idea then. Shoot. Nobody the name knows of the course is, is completely anyway. irrelevant. Like it does not matter to the story. But basically, a tornado came through. It was a heavily wooded course. Yeah. A tornado came through. And the main part of the tornado hit the course, and this was like two years ago. Yeah. And they just never reopened the course because there was too much damage. Yeah. That like the lines were completely gone. The woods were, it basically got turned into almost an open field. There were so many trees down that right. they, it would have taken the county hundreds of thousands of dollars to even clear all the trees down and stuff like that. And the wooded part was just a walking trail on a disc golf course. And so why would they invest all that money into that? Right. Yeah. But, you know, if, think of like, I think it's just going to be like whenever big events are planned, like hopefully this is part of their thought process. But like if I'm doing Worlds or USDGC or whatever it is now, USDGC, like that's kind of one they're probably just going to have to scratch. But if I'm doing Worlds and I'm doing it at a course um, in the woods at a time of the year where storms are likely, like I think you just got to have a contingency plan at that point. Like if this happens, like as long as there's at least a few days of time or whatever, like it's going to go to this course and this is going to go to this course. Cause it's not, you know, super difficult to just like have that plan in place as long as you plan ahead of time. Cause I, I agree if they got caught off guard. Well, let's say like here, if let's say that we were having the PDGA yeah. pro world championships here. Yeah. There is two courses that I think, well, in Lynchburg, they're too much their caliber. It, it would we probably have to move it to like our contingency plan might be moving it to another state. Yeah, like yeah, North yeah, yeah, Carolina. Yeah. We might be going three hours south. Yeah, but like, because like yeah, if you have a storm that's really bad, like up in Oregon where all those courses are right near, there's a good chance they all got damaged. Yeah. So like at that point, your contingency plan needs to be we're going to California or wherever it might be. You know, hopefully you have enough time. And like sometimes these things happen, and you just can't do anything about it. Other thing about Worlds, too, is, like, if it really came down to it, they could reschedule it and just cancel a national tour or something. Yeah. While they score, or turn a national tour into I'm just Worlds. thinking, like, putting iconic courses where they're heavily reliant on woods. I think it's just going to be one of those things where it's just a matter of, like, hopefully they don't get unlucky. Like, those courses, like, I don't really think we should choose the events around. I mean, I think the Pro Tour may already be moving in a direction where they're going to choose a lot of new courses that are probably more open because it makes it easier for them to run the event that they yeah, want it's to easier run. to run spectators to get the cameras back and forth there is the only downside weird... to me to more open golf is not that exciting. it's not as exciting yeah but if you look at logistic wise fair, if if you look at pretty much every other aspect of it it wins 
Yeah. Minus the excitement and difficulty for the players. I've always been a fan of like hybrid courses, a little bit of woods, a little bit of open. I agree. You know, a little bit of best, best of both. Because worlds. like it, as as the sport grows and there's more emphasis on live coverage, you're going to need a place where you can get cameras to cover yeah. multiple different holes and, and open, stuff like that. Open can be done right too, you know. That's the key. Use the flags, use Use obstacles like USDGC. I think does it so beautifully. They use their but water. That's the thing is, so many people hate USDGC's course. I, I, I. They hate the flags, and maybe they go a little. They hate over- the rope. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. They maybe they go a little overboard with the rope, but there are things they do. Like for instance, like the big wall of like ivy, like the bushes alongside their right side. Not a huge like tree that had to grow for hundreds of years. It's just like an obstacle that's there, and they use it really well because it plays a big factor in that hole. Or they use like the slopes, like the hole with the elevated basket mm-hmm. where it goes downhill. They're just using elevation there. It doesn't have anything to do with other obstacles. Um, you know, the hole where you go through that triple mando, again, not like anything crazy there. They just strategically place what they have to work with on a relatively open course yeah. to where it makes the holes super difficult to play. Mm-hmm. And like that's, I think that's the key is like open disc golf. Sometimes I see events on ball golf courses and they stink sometimes it's just hyzer 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 hyzer. like yeah there's flags on the left and the right and maybe a few islands but like they're not using um you know like the thorn spring event that we just Mm -hmm. covered they used um the tree lines on the that was a really open ball golf course and they used the tree lines really well to shape they used the water and the creeks really well to where you had to throw certain types of shots yeah no one was just throwing a hyzer and winning the tournament yeah that had the shape shot i think the more disc golf becomes open, it's not. I love wooded disc golf courses. And I think they're going to be around for probably forever or at least a long time. But I think as open courses become more popular, especially on the pro tour, it's just going to make course design so much more important. I think it's going to become like ball golf. Like right now, course designers in disc golf don't have a huge name for themselves. Like, Some do. You know them in areas like kind of locally, and there's a few that like might be considered big names, but like in ball golf, there are courses where, like, if you hear that, I think Pete Dye is one of them, or Greg Norman, or Arnold Palmer. If you know that one of those guys designed a course, wherever it might be, you know it's good. And like, I think as disc golf requires more skill to develop a course that can actually be like challenging pros, but still suit the needs of the tour, like, I think disc golf course designers, we're gonna start seeing who the really good ones are. I think it'd be sick. This has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, but <laughs> just the course designers. I think it'd be sick if there was some type of like, and it'd have to be by like the Pro Tour or the PDGA, if there was like some type of course or certification that a course designer could go through. Yeah. So that you, not that like random people couldn't design a pitch and putt, yeah. but like if the PDGA was going to have a X, Y, or Z event, like a major, or yeah. the Pro Tour was going to come in town, like you, the, the designer of said course, it needed to be like, approved by a dgpt approved designer or something like that yeah to where you have someone it's so tough right now to decide like who are the experts though and why are they the experts yeah because everyone has been because some people would say that enova with winthrop gold is an expert course designer course designing is is very subjective so it is it is tough to say like now the pga program like they have a course rating system where they have people that can go out to a course and decide uh, the slope and the rating of a course, basically saying at least the rating, it basically tells you what a scratch golfer should shoot at this course. So there is like a more of a universal system. I would like to see a system like that for the tour, the more notable courses. I wish there was a way where 
Um, the big, most notable courses in our sport, like you go to Maple Hill, that course is a rating, and you can see what is a thousand rated player supposed to shoot at Maple Hill. I think it's possible, but then it's again, like it's it's one of those things where it's like, how do we decide who's the guy who does that? How does he decide? Well, also, like, it's so one thing difficult. with disc golf is like a ball golf course doesn't really ever change. Yeah, disc golf course very slow. Yeah, Maple Hill. A, it could change just like that. It hasn't changed drastically, but the tree falls on one, opens up a brand new line, that hole plays a stroke easier. Not one at Maple Hill, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That happened in disc golf all the time. Yeah. Where discs start going through, and now this new disc hole golf is open. courses just change a lot in general. They though. just change all the time. Yeah. It's so true. if someone comes out, it almost has to be a yearly thing if they reevaluate it, reevaluate Which, it, reevaluate yeah, it. And I, and I don't, I like that in a sense, especially for like local courses, but I think any event that has, um, prestige to it uh like the usdgc is really the only good example we have of this because it's really the only event that stays where it is and i think we need more events like this and i think that's just going to come with age because as the pro tour establishes itself we're going to see the same events over and over again and we'll know that they're at this course and that'll happen but the usdgc is like the best example we have and i like that i mean i i think they're despicable for changing hole number one for starters because i think it was a great hole one and it was iconic and they ruined it but besides that they've done a pretty good job with keeping the holes as similar as possible to what they are because like when you go to augusta for the masters they've had to change a few things like the distance of the tees to work with the new technology but for the most part like when you get to amen corner at augusta it's the same as it was 100 years ago like it's important to have like iconic holes in history and have things not change but like i said i think that's only really important when we're talking about the courses that we see year after year so that people can like remember like, Oh, that's this hole. Like that's important for fans so they can like, it's good to make a sport easy to follow for fans. You don't want it. You want things to be recognizable to them. Uh, it goes for the players, the courses, the events, you want things to be repeatable so that they can like always think in their mind, Oh, I saw this last time I've heard of this. It's just more satisfying as a fan when you know more about the sport, it's more fun to follow a sport when you know a bunch about it. Um, but yeah, that's basically my point on all that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it. I think it's just something that, like you said, it'll come. We're, we're such a young sport that a lot of that will come. But I don't know. I think that the. I, I'm. I come from Virginia, North Carolina golf. I love wooded golf. I do too. I Pennsylvania is like future. that too. I don't think it's the future of the sport. Probably not. And open golf. There's, there's too many pros to open golf, that. And there's too many potential cons to wooded golf. Like, how are you ever? If we had ten thousand people in an event, yeah, once, where are they? Once the gets big enough, like you just can't do it. Like, where are they watching at Northwood Golds? No, they're not. Nowhere. Yeah, you can't. Um, as we wrap up the show, we're gonna head into the predictions for the Vintage Open. It's a Silver Series event coming up this weekend. A lot of big names gonna be there. Uh, who do you have, Trevor? Top three MPO. Yeah, so I'm going pretty generic with MPO. I'm going to have Ricky, number one. Um, Calvin, number two. Number three, I'm going to sneak in Nico LeCastro, playing pretty decent golf this year. So we're back in we're back in Arkansas. Yeah. So I'm sneaking Kevin Jones into my number three. He mm. always plays good in his home state. Uh, normally that's at the Jonesboro Open because I think that's actually like his home city too. Um, but I don't know. It's an Arkansas event. Kevin Jones, I'm going Chris Dickerson second. He also yeah. tends to play pretty good in Arkansas. I'm basing all this off Jonesboro for some reason. I'm just not realizing that, but mm-hmm. we're rolling with it. Chris Dickerson second, and Ricky's on fire right now. Yeah, I'm going Ricky first place. Tough I think he's taken down him. on FPO. Uh, I have Sarah Hokum. 
She played mm. really good at uh, the last weekend, Lone Star Classic. I think she's going to do it again. Take it down right over Kona Panis. It's going to come in second place. And wrapping out my top three, I'm going to have Katrina Allen. She's always in the mix. I yeah. Think she will be again. Yeah, I'm. I have a, a little bit different. I actually have. I'm gonna have. Um, I'm gonna have Cat taking it down. I'm gonna have Kona in second, but then I'm gonna sneak Missy Gannon into third. She's a previous champion of this event. Yeah, and playing pretty well, so I'm gonna sneak her in there. She nice. could take it down for sure. Now we're gonna bring back something that we haven't done in a little bit, and we're gonna put a twist on it. So we're gonna bring back our dark horse pick. Yes. You guys, everyone seemed to like it when we did it before, but here's the twist. So we're changing the rules up. They must be a sub 1,000 rated player, so that way it makes it where it's probably going to be like a local person or something like that. Sub 1,000 rated player, and we're each going to pick one, me, Trevor, and Connor. Whoever's does the worst out of the three that we pick, whoever picked that person has to buy coffee for the winner of the challenge. So yes. if whoever I pick ends up beating both of theirs then whoever came in last buys me coffee. That was about the hardest way to explain it, but <laughs> I think I did it right. All right, so my dark horse pick for this weekend is going to be Ian Burchett or Burchett. Or Burchett. Who knows? Or, Burch- or Burchett. There's Ian Burchett. Uh, 998 rated, so sneaking up to that 1,000, but just jumped 15 points. His game is trending upwards right now. The Vintage Open should be terrified of this guy walking in. Uh, Dark Horse Pick of the Week. Dang. Okay, I'm going with Trevin or Trevon Crow. I'm pretty sure I've picked him you before. You picked him before, and he and did very well. He for did you. really well for me. 995. Might have been. 995 rated. He's had some pretty solid finishes this year. He's been playing uh, in Texas, doing pretty well. Um, just a consistent pick, and I've got a lot of confidence in him. So, yeah. Connor, what are you thinking? You had Trayvon Crow, didn't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go. Uh, this is just because I, his last name almost sounds like McLaren. So it's uh, <laughs> Justin McLuhan. Justin McLuhan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he's 989 rated. Ooh. Bonus mm-hmm. points for going the lower rated. Yep. And I, that, that's who I choose. <laughs> so we got Justin. I'll get, I'll get ready to buy whoever coffee. <laughs> Ju- Justin McLuhan, Ian Burchett, and Trayvon Crow. So follow along with them. Uh, make sure you're tweeting at us and letting us know who's going to end up buying who coffee. Um, and hopefully we remember that next week before the podcast starts. Yes. And it's time to wrap this show up. The final segment, Make That Call. It's time to put Trevor into yet another scenario. All right. You're playing... Independence Park, long tees. Yeah. Okay. You set up to hole four. I think it's hole four. The one with the creek for the fairway? One, two, three. Yeah, the first one with the upper tee. Yep, but the creek is the fairway. Yeah. So there's a creek that runs down the middle of the fairway. Never hit this fairway The creek is casual. Okay. So your disc lands in the middle of the creek. Sometimes there's a snake in there. Yeah. Disc lands in the middle of the casual creek. If you want to take casual relief, it would bring you about a hundred some feet back down the fairway. Yes. But where your disc landed, the creek's too deep to where you can't really stand in it. Okay? I might, but you could. continue. But right next to you, there's a rock on the ground. It's a pretty big rock. Oh, you, this is going to be interesting. Can you put that rock down behind <laughs> your lie to stand on it so that you can throw from in, in the creek instead of taking relief? That's fascinating. Well, so there's going to have to be a very specific rule on this because that rock is dead and unattached and it it's where is it? Is it behind my lie? 
Is that going to matter? It's near you. You're not at your lie yet. You're walking up and noticing your lie. Can you bring this rock with you? Is the you? rock but behind it, my lie? It, it, I mean, somewhere behind it. Yeah, you're walking okay, up to okay, it. Okay, because I'm just saying it, it's dead and attached behind my lie. means I can move it. So I'm allowed to move it. So there would have to be a rule in the PDJ saying that you can't do this specifically, like move a rock to like assist your lie. I'm just wondering if there's any language in the rule that says like you can move something dead and attached behind your lie as long as it doesn't assist. You. Well, you are assisting your lie. That's the whole point of it. This would be this is like too good of a loophole for you to have found this all on your own. I'm gonna say you can't. Well, who says I found it all on my own? First off, I'm gonna say well then maybe you can. <laughs> I there has to be a rule against. This. I will tell you this part. This is from the question and answer section of the PDJ. Mm-hmm. I did not find this on my own. Put a rock in the water. Well, the actually, question is, was the question no, answered? Yes. No, or no, I'm gonna say you can do this because the whole point of casual is that like you should be able to play from there as if it was a normal shot. Like they don't because like a lot of times when there's casual water, like they didn't really want the water to be there in the first place. So you kind of should be able to play from there as if it was normal. So I'm gonna say you can. Wrong. <laughs> so right. if you hopeful. choose <laughs> if you choose not to take casual relief back along the line of play, then you must take your stance as you would anywhere else on the course. Mm-hmm. This is where you got confused. The only time you're allowed to move obstacles is to move casual obstacles out of your lie. So it's not anything behind your lie. It's something that's impending your lie or impeding on or whatever that word is. So something that's encroaching upon. So I mean, I use like 10 different words okay, for the same thing. So something that's like in the way of your lie because even, so, so even somebody's going to stroke me for kicking a rock but like somewhere along the course I said you course. picked up a very a rather large rock and brought it to your lie but it hasn't even related to disc golf it just happened I just picked up the rock that was cool oh I just sat it right behind well, the lie because the only time you're allowed to move obstacles that are part of the course i.e. rocks so is to move rock. them out of your lie if you do not want to play and that's assuming it didn't if you do not want to play the lie as it is you can take casual relief you can take optional relief or abandon the throw at the cost of a penalty throw that's a bummer. So you cannot do it. Whatever. That's what I thought was very interesting because it last hurt. week's rule was you can literally lean on a crutch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are these two the same thing? Yeah, so let me just like... So then my question is, and I don't know the answer sit to this, in a chair. What instead? if we took like a stack of discs out of our bag so it's not a part of the course and I put it on the ground? What, if, I, what if it was just my bag? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, what if my bag's a flotation device what if you sat on your stool? on it? What if you sat on your stool behind it? There are infinite or your caddy. Yeah, what if, I just lay, what if I lay Connor down? There are with, infinite <laughs> possibilities with that rule. PJ doesn't even know what the rules are. They're just making it up as they go, and I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just know last week, like, it was pretty obvious you could use a cane or a crutch or something to, like, assist your throw. So why yeah. couldn't I just balance myself on top of that crane karate kid style as I forehand out of the creek? Um, but if it was a rock, it's illegal. Do know that. That is in the books. All right, thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to this week's podcast. Um, no, I was about to make you. I was about to ask you to tweet something, and I was thinking through my mind if I actually wanted to make you tweet it, but no, I'm not going to have you do it. Tweet at us, though. Tweet at Foundation DG, and uh, let us know you're listening to the podcast, whether you're loving it, hating it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We've gotten a lot of reviews. We do really it. appreciate each and every one of them, um, and we would love to get a few more. And if you're leaving, if you're here on YouTube, leave us a comment on some topics you want us to cover uh, as the season rolls on, some things that you find interesting that you would like some more information on. And other than that, we will talk to you next week.